When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. You're listening to a Share Radio podcast. A pension crisis. It's horrendous. Threatening with debt collectors and the bubble that's going to cause financial havoc. Let's talk about the speed with which we are watching this market deteriorate. What in the world is happening on Wall Street? The down traders are standing there watching in amazement. I don't blame them. the house of fun that is managing my money, where you learn and laugh and laugh and learn. Glenn, live to can love you just turn it down a notch? Why, Annie, you don't sound so chipper today. No, I've been having a few problems with my flipping, blimmin' landlord. Well, Annie, Girl. there's no need to use curse words now. Do you know you have come to the right place? Sure. Because can you guess why I'm playing House of Fun by Madness? Because we're going to have fun. Yes, and... And we're going to be talking about houses? Yes, yes, and triple yes, mm. with a yesy, yesy cherry on top. Super duper. Now, buying and selling property is the one financial topic that everybody knows a thing or two about. You know about it, I know about it, mm-hmm. everyone knows about it. Yeah, and don't I know about it? Friends, relatives and the TV never stop banging on about it. It's on the news, documentaries, newspapers, special reports. Oh, special Well... Guess what? I've prepared a very special report of my own. It sums up all the other reports. It's like every report on the housing market that you've ever heard in your life all rolled up into one super report. What, a report of reports? An uber report. Roll tape. It's the British dream to own your own house. But is that dream... Becoming a nightmare. Victor is now six years old, but despite earning upwards of £2 a week in pocket money, he still can't afford to get on the housing ladder. It's a very tall ladder and it's difficult to climb up it. How long do you think it will be before you can afford to get on the first rung? Rung? What's the one? 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 The plaintive cry of a generation so far from achieving their property owning dream that even the bottom of the ladder is hopelessly out of reach. Property expert Barbara Patel says it's only going to get worse if we don't take drastic measures. It's only going to get worse if we don't take drastic measures. The good news is the government announced a massive house-building programme. The only answer is more houses. 
The government are looking to reaching and maintaining a level of 400,000 houses a year. The bad news is the government made that announcement in 1963. We now tend to build less than half that number of houses each year. The sad reality is, these days your house is less likely to be in the middle of your street and more likely to be at the top of a tower block where you share a single bedroom with three of your friends from university. Glenn Goodman, Share Radio News. That was a really hard-hitting report, Glenn. I know. Well, we are in a non-stop state of emergency housing crisis, you know. But away from all the scary headlines, though, how bad are things really? Well, it's all a matter of perspective. So if you're on a modest income, say, mm-hmm. with no financial help from your family, but mm. you really want to buy a nice house in an attractive area of London. Yeah. Right, well, here's my advice. Get real! Oh. This is London we're talking about. It's one of the wealthiest, most desirable cities in the world. Of course everyone wants to live here. And of course the houses are expensive. Yeah, but we're not building enough houses though, are we? So isn't this the main reason that, that prices are going up? It is one of the reasons, yes. London's land is already pretty full up, obviously, but we could build upwards more, which might ease some of the pressure on prices. But of course, if prices become more affordable, mm. then it may well attract even more people to come and live in London. People from other parts of the UK and from abroad, which would then just add to the pressure on prices again anyway. Right, so basically what you're saying is I've got to put up with my grotty landlord forever. No. Mm. you just got to be realistic about what and where you can afford to buy. And don't forget that outside London, there's a little thing that they call the rest of the UK, right? (laughs) You heard of it? (laughs) Where property has, believe it or not, actually become more affordable in the past 20 years, not less. What? Like where? Like Grimsby, Scunthorpe, Morpeth. And? And that's pretty much it. Grimsby, Scunthorpe, oh, Morpeth. Right. Take, take your pick of those. Great. Brilliant. No, no, I'm just messing about. Outside of London, affordability has either stayed much the same or even improved in the past 20 years in many places. And that's mainly because interest rates have fallen so much over that period, while wages have carried on rising, which means people generally have more income left over after they've paid their mortgage payments each month. All right, well, that sounds like a much more appealing picture. But aren't young people generally still finding it hard to buy, so everyone just ends up renting? So you'd think, from everything we're always hearing, but in fact, most people own their own homes in this country, and that figure of around 65-70% to of the population hasn't actually really changed very much during this century. Hmm. It's a very high figure compared to some other wealthy countries, like Germany, for example. But they're such a sensible nation, you'd think that most people would own their own homes there, no? No, it's just a completely different culture, completely different attitude to housing. Only about half of them own their own homes. All right, so let me get this right then. So, say I was German, you can call me Helga for the sake of argument. Brunhilde. Brunhilde. Um, I could be expected then to rent for most of my life. Well, actually, until the day I die, like in my 80s or something, 90s, if I'm lucky. It's quite common. Really? It's not a big deal over there. They don't think, oh, no, I'm still my own home. What am I going to do? No. But Renting it doesn't mean forever. they're poor, because they're not a poor nation, are they? Oh, no. Exactly. One of the richest nations of the world. I'm really surprised. That's surprising. I am surprised, Glenn. Indeed. So why are we so obsessed with owning our own home in this country, then? 
Well, here are some pretty typical British viewpoints from men and ladies on the street. For you. They don't live on the street. We just asked them some questions on the street. Glad you clarified. I rented for, I would say, about eight years. Just It was just dead money. I was sick and tired of paying somebody else's mortgage. Rent's kind of dead money. I don't want to be somebody that's retired and worrying about paying rent. That's the main reason I bought it's true, though, isn't it? Like, renting is just dead money. Like, you hand it over and it pays someone else's mortgage. My mum's always banging on about dead money, dead money. Yes, but then they're the one taking the risk by taking out a mortgage. The risk that house prices will fall again or that interest rates will rise and make their mortgage much more expensive to pay off. I mean, I know it's hard to think of those kind of things as risks if you live in the south of England, where house prices just seem to go up almost all the time. And, of course, interest rates have been so low for so long that it's hard to remember how hard things were for some people when they were going upwards. But let's not forget, back in the late 80s, early 90s, Mm. a lot of people lost their homes because they couldn't afford to pay their mortgage. Whatever, though. I want a house. Give me a mortgage. Well, I tried. You can't say I didn't warn you. So, are you saving up for your deposit then? Yep. You want to get a mortgage? Yep. Time to talk to the mortgage seller. Uh-huh, uh-huh, yeah. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Annie Weston, time for your mortgage lesson. Spending too much time jesting and resting when you should be testing yourself. Check it. Now I'm saving more than ever. And we'll always be together. Better go talk to the mortgage seller. Well, I have to say, Annie, I'm a little touched by that line about uh, how we'll always be together. Uh, well, actually, I was talking about my boyfriend, Glenn. I feel like... Your boyfriend, Glenn? My... <laughs> no, his name is not Glenn. I feel like we'll always be together, as in me and my boyfriend. So it feels, you know, right that we should buy a house together. And that's why I'm going to talk to the mortgage seller. Ella, Ella, yeah. let's quickly cover the mortgage <laughs> basics. You remember a mortgage is a giant loan that you get from a bank or a building society or another lending institution. And the reason that they're prepared to lend you such a stupendously huge amount of money is because the loan is secured against the property you're buying. Okay, what's secured again? Secured means security for the bank. In other words, if you don't make your payments, the property itself is the bank's backup plan. They'll seize your property and sell it to get their money back. All right, so for example then, imagine I owed somebody money... And they wanted paying. So what they do is they would take my pedigree dog hostage until I have the money to pay them back. Would that be secured? Yes, Yes, that's exactly it. So, yes, the bank treats your house like a kidnapped dog. Got it. It's there. It's in. It's locked in. Good. But in this country, luckily, repossession is always a real last resort. Lenders have to jump through a lot of hoops before they can legally repossess a house. So in the property slump, for example, after the credit crunch a few Mm. years ago, there weren't anywhere near as many repossessions as many so-called experts were predicting. Okay, so how do we get a mortgage with a nice, lovely low interest rate then? Well, first of all, put together a big deposit. The rate they'll charge you depends a lot on what's called your loan-to-value ratio. This is the ratio or proportion of the value of the mortgage compared to the value of the property. Okay, my brain hurts. So, in other words, the bigger your mortgage is compared to the price of the property, the bigger your loan-to-value ratio will be? Exactly. 
God, thank goodness for that. So say then I had a little flat I want to buy and it costs 200,000 and I've saved up a deposit of 50,000 pounds. So I need to borrow 150,000. Then your loan to value ratio expressed as a percentage would be 75%. That means you need right. to borrow three quarters of the money. You'd probably pay a higher interest rate than if you only needed to borrow, say, half the money. So your monthly mortgage payments will be a fair bit higher if you're expecting to borrow a larger proportion of the value of the property. Okay, so that's why it's important to put together a big deposit in the first place. Partly, yes. And also because the more equity you have in your house, the better. The equity is the amount of the house that you actually own as opposed to the amount that the bank owns. So why do I need equity in my property? Because it's safer for you. So with your flat example from before, you've borrowed 75% of the value. You've put up 25% yourself. So that means you've got 25% equity in the flat and the bank owns the rest. But then let's say property prices fall <gasps> and your flat is now only worth £130,000. No. That's down from the two hundred. That means you'd be stuck paying back a loan of £150,000 on a flat that's now only worth 130000 So the fifty grand you put in has completely disappeared and now you're in what's called negative equity. That is completely rubbish, but I, I've heard of this. So negative equity, it must be the opposite of owning part of your home then. Exactly. Not only do you own nothing, None of the house yourself, but you actually owe the bank more than the house would be worth if you sold it. It's a pretty rotten situation to be oh, in. Rubbish. And that's the kind of situation where people sometimes give up and go and drop off their house keys at the bank. Really? Yeah, really. I mean, you don't hear much about that kind of thing these days. But the good thing about being in negative equity, if you can call it that, is that it's not like they're going to make you pay back your whole loan straight away. You can just hang on in there. Stick with the house, keep paying on your mortgage until house prices hopefully turn upwards again and then you're back in positive equity. Mm, a little bit depressing though. Sorry, but I did give you a happy ending there. The the house prices turning upwards and you're back that in positive nice. equity. That was a good touch, thank you. No problem. It's financial style. Financial style. Now, you remember in our episodes on debt, we went through the different types of loan, fixed rate, variable and all that? Oh, yes. And the saucy cap and collar arrangements. Can't really talk about those before the watershed, Annie. Let's recap on the main types. Fixed rate. Okay, so that's when your interest rate is set for a certain number of years and it doesn't go up or down during that period. Exactly. It's a good option if you're convinced that interest rates are going to go a lot higher in the next few years. Say. Yeah. So you fix your rate for t maybe two years, maybe five years or even longer. You can get 10 year fixes, wow. for example. And in some other countries, they actually fix your rate sometimes for a whole 25 years. But we don't really do much of that in the UK. Okay. So as I say, fixed rates can be a good option, but they usually cost a bit more. If you're on a variable rate mortgage where the interest rate goes up and down in line with the Bank of England's interest rate, well, I say in line, as we talked about in previous episodes, it doesn't necessarily go up and down directly in line, but it sort of broadly follows the Bank of England's interest rate. And you usually get a better rate than you would with a fixed rate, but there is risk because it could shoot up if the Bank of England decide to put up interest rates a lot. Life is a risky business, Glenn. It is. Mm. But if you want a tiny bit more security than a variable rate, there is, of course, the tracker rate mortgages, which we talked about again in a previous episode. But John Quill Lowe from the Open University has got a few more slightly more unusual mortgages to tell us about. She gives us the lowdown on flexible mortgages. But first of all, she explains how offset mortgages work. 
offset mortgages are interesting. If you have surplus cash, say in your current account or your savings account, you can move that to the mortgage lender and it's deducted from the amount you owe on your mortgage before the monthly mortgage interest is worked out. So if the interest rate received on the savings account is lower than that charged on the mortgage, which typically it is, this can be a good deal. In effect, your savings are earning interest at the mortgage rate. Usually you can still draw your savings out, for example, for a holiday or life's uncertainties. Then, of course, the interest charged on the mortgage goes up. You might want to consider a flexible mortgage, a variable rate mortgage where you can choose to vary your monthly payments and sometimes borrow back money you've already paid off. Obviously, being able to reduce your payments could be useful if you're going through a tough time financially. John Quill Lowe from the Open University there. What did you think about what she had to say? Well, it's really good to know how all these different types of mortgages work. But isn't the big elephant in the room here the high house prices, especially in London, which is where I want to buy? Then perhaps you should think about a shared ownership scheme. What, where I share my house with a a serial killer or a party animal? Not unless you really want to. No. But no, with shared ownership, you don't actually share the house with anybody else necessarily. You share the ownership of the house with your landlord. Landlord's usually a big property company, which is building a load of new homes. Now, the way it usually works is if you can't afford to get a loan for 100% of the house or flat, you can buy between 25 and 75% of the property instead, and then you pay rent on the remaining part that you don't own until oh. one day you can hopefully afford to get a loan on the rest of the property as well. It's mainly aimed at first-time buyers. I quite like the sound of that, Glenn, because that's almost like instead of getting a whole foot on the housing ladder, you're at least getting your big toe on there. Yeah, just a little toehold. Little toe. It's something, isn't it? It is something. Now, the next choice that you need to make is between a repayment mortgage and an interest-only mortgage. Wow. Do you want to know the difference? Do you care to explain? Because I don't currently know. (laughs) I don't mind at all. An interest-only mortgage is, well, what it says. You're just paying interest. So you get your big loan for Mm £150,000. And instead of actually paying back the £150,000, you just pay the interest that they charge you each year on the mortgage. And you carry on doing that for the whole 25 years. And at the end of it, you got a bill for £150,000 to pay. That doesn't sound very appealing at all. You need to demonstrate to the lender with an interest-only mortgage how you intend to build up the money. Usually they would expect you to have some kind of investment or savings account in place that you're regularly funneling money into, showing that you're building up towards paying off that massive debt at the end. And you need to use reasonable assumptions about what kind of level of future growth you expect from your investment or your savings. Okay, so the alternative then is the repayment mortgage. Yes, with these... In the first few years, most of your payments are usually made up of interest, with only small amounts of capital paid back. But as the capital is slowly paid back, the interest payments start to form a smaller and smaller part in later years. Because if you think about it, you're paying interest on a smaller and smaller amount of loan because you're starting to pay back the loan. 
and the principal repayments of the original loan start getting larger and larger. So the thing is, if you decide to try and pay off your mortgage halfway through, you might be surprised that most of the principal, most of the main loan, still remains unpaid because you've just been paying off a lot of interest over the years. Oh, my goodness me. So you've got to pay the money back one way or another. You've got to do it. You've got to do it, whether it's interest only or a repayment mortgage. Do you want to know what the pennies have been up to recently? Well, I'd imagine they've been making some really sound housing decisions. Well, of course they have. Right. Let's find out, shall we? Let's do it. Oh, hello, dear. It's your favourite for dinner, braised monkey brains. Oh, that sounds disgusting, Carol. Oh, oh hang on, you're pulling my leg, aren't you? I might be. Is it really monkey brains or is it baboon? <laughs> baboon. <laughs> <laughs> you know how I love baboon brains. You had me going for a while there about the monkey. It's just my little joke, dear. Now, I've got a surprise for you, dear. Oh, what's that, Arthur? Don't keep me in suspense. I've booked a triple cruise extravaganza. <gasps> oh, how exciting! What? What's the triple part? Well, it's a Caribbean cruise and the on-ship cabaret entertainers are Tom Cruise and Penelope Cruise. Oh. It's a triple cruise. Oh, that sounds magical, dear. But where did you get the money? Well, that's the other part of the surprise. I've just made the last ever payment on our mortgage. We're mortgage-free. <gasps> oh, Arthur, that's wonderful news. It's such a weight off my mind. Oh, here comes the postman. Oh, some very important-looking post here. This is from the bank. It says we owe them £200,000 payable immediately. What? But how can that be? I paid off the mortgage. Well, it says here we had an interest-only mortgage. All this time we've just been paying off the interest. Now that the 25 years is up, they says they want all the capital back right now. Oh, no, we'll have to oh. cancel the cruise. Oh, forget about the cruise. We'll be lucky to have a roof over our heads after this. Well, we need to make some money and fast. Well, as I understand it, human brains are becoming quite a sort after delicacy, Arthur. Human brains? I don't mm. think I follow. Oh, I'm sure we could fetch a pretty penny for your brains, small and withered as they are. Oh, Carol, get away! Come here! I'll tell you what, those pennies are starting to get really dark and sinister. I know. It's like Tales of the Unexpected. So are there any other costs then that I need to think about when I'm taking out a mortgage? Aren't there like arrangement fees and so on? Often, yes. And remember how we talked in the debt episodes about how you need to keep an eye on the APR figure, yeah. which incorporates those fees and tells you what interest rate you'll really be paying each year. Yeah, but wouldn't it include other costs like, um, I don't know, legal costs, putting things through, stamp duty? No, there are lots of costs that are outside the APR, so you need to factor them in separately. Legal fees involved with buying a property, a fee to the land registry, fees to surveyors to check the properties in a good structural condition, removal costs, and the big one, which you mentioned, stamp duty. Stamp duty. Because you don't pay it on really cheap properties, but otherwise you're looking at thousands in extra costs paid straight to the government and and thousands more and all those other fees I mentioned. Oh, my God. Look, I think I'm going to move to Germany and just go and rent. All right, then. So after you've found a nice house um, and you've got yourself a mortgage, 
The next bit is making an offer, isn't it? Yeah. And if right. the owner accepts your offer, you exchange contracts unless you're gazumped. Oh, gazumping. Such a great word. But how does that work again? It's not gazump, very... Gazump, gazump, It's not very pleasant, though, is it? It no. sounds great, but it's not. Oh, I've been gazumped. Well, it's good if you're doing the gazumping, not so good if you're the gazumpy. If it's a really hot, competitive housing market, people start getting greedy and perhaps someone comes along with a better offer after you've had your offer accepted by the seller. So because you haven't actually exchanged contracts yet with the seller... The new buyer with more money can gazump you by getting the owner to drop your offer in favour of theirs. That is so mean. That sounds like it should be illegal. Sounds like it, but it isn't. Rubbish. Anyway, after you've exchanged contracts and paid a deposit to the homeowner, it's still not final until the completion date, which is when you pay them the rest of the money and it's also usually the day you actually move house. But before this, any number of things can go wrong because of the chain. The chain. You're buying your house from person B and person B is buying their house from person C and person C is buying their house from person D and if any link in that chain falls through then sometimes all those sales can fall through simultaneously which is a nightmare for everyone involved. That sounds awful. That sounds awful. No wonder people end up jumping for joy when their house purchase finally goes through. Exactly. It's always a good reason to pop open the champagne. Did you like that? (laughs) Was that champagne? (laughs) Oh that was your mouth. That was my mouth. Amazing. (laughs) Do you know what? 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 Tell me what? We've reached the end of the episode again. Are you kidding me? I know, it's just flown by. And how much information have we just got through? We have romped through the housing market and mortgages like there's no tomorrow. It's been quite something. Well, if you've been listening to this series of programmes so far, and I know you have, then you will know that at the end of each pair of episodes, you go and answer the quiz questions online... And that takes you one step closer to getting that certificate from the Open University (gasps) showing how financially capable you have become, which you can put on your CV. That is awesome. It certainly is. So thanks very much for listening to another episode of Managing My Money. And please join us for the next episode where we're going to go into even more depth on this whole housing situation. We're going to be talking about housing as an investment, buy to let, all that kind of stuff. Excellent. I need it. I need to immerse myself in this housing talk. It's going to be good for us. Are you going to join me, Annie? Join you. I'll be here. All right. See you all soon. Bye. Bye Bye-bye. See ya. (laughs) 